Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Disciples House. Please be seated. Uh, as you might have noticed, we don't have any bulletins this morning. 
ran out of ink in the printer, so I'm going to read it off my phone. <laughs> All right, uh, so upcoming events. Uh, we're going to have a family movie night, uh, October 13th at 7 p.m. And then uh, Contending Faith Bible Conference will be in Branson, Missouri. Uh, that's October 24th to the 26th. If you need any information on that, please get with me or Pastor Robbie. Uh, ladies' shopping trips coming up November 4th. More details to follow. Um, family Fellowship uh, will be uh, November 17th at 7 p.m. And then uh, Christmas Fellowship, uh, December 16th. And then Christmas evening, evening Service, December 25th. Uh, and then we're planning to go to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum April 18th and the, through the 20th of next year. And then, of course, uh, Generation Life Youth Camp, uh, where many lives will be changed, uh, will be July 8th through the 12th next year. All right. So our meditation for this week, which hopefully is up there, uh, is can, uh, Colossians, or in him is Colossians 2.11, and it says, uh, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So our confession, in Christ I am circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. I put off sins in this body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Praise God. All right, so our healing scripture for this week is Malachi 4.2 out of the Amplified. And it says, But unto you who revere and worshipfully fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings and his beams. Uh, and you shall go forth and gamble like calves, released from the stall and leap for joy. All right. Everybody wants to go out and leap for joy, right? All right. So our confession... I reverence and worshipfully fear the name of my God. Therefore, the Son of Righteousness arises with healing in his wings. And his beams for me. I go forth, bounding like calves, released from the stall, and I leap for joy. Praise God. I can, everybody can use that kind of healing. All right. Well, let's pray for the service. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for being here with us. We know that whenever two or three are gathered in your name, you will be here in our midst. And we, know, and we count on that, and we know that you are here. We know that you are with us, and that you will lead and guide us, and that you will help us to grow closer to you, Lord. That you will give me and Robbie the words that need to be spoken, the words that are just right for those that are here now and those that are listening online. And Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you that you will, that, that you will speak your words through us and that, that you will reveal yourself to us and that you will draw us closer to you as we, draw, as we seek to draw closer to you, Lord. We come expecting to hear from you. We come ex with expecting hearts and we know that you will answer our expectations and we know that you are here with us. Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and destroy. You will not operate here. You will not operate through anyone here, and you will not hinder these services. You must flee in the name of Jesus. Now get out of here. 
Lord, we just thank you for your son, and we thank you that you have given us the ability to rebuke the devourer. And we thank you for this day. Amen. Derek, our confession. Good morning, disciples. House. Let's stand up and do our confession together. I, I am the image of God. God. I, am I am spirit and flesh. I am very good. I am, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am crucified. I am a new creation and a new creature. I am dead to the flesh, but I live in Christ. I am dead to sin, quickened to life, and saved by grace. I am buried with Christ by baptism. I am raised from the dead with him. I walk in the newness of life. I am forgiven and redeemed. I am the righteous I am the righteous I am an ambassador of Christ. I am the righteousness of God. I am the workmanship of God's hands. I am created and ordained to do good works. I am justified by faith. I am chosen and I abide in Christ. I am holy and without blame. I am predestined for adoption. I am more than a conqueror. I am an overcomer and I am greater. I live, move, and have my being in Christ. I reign as a king in life. I can do all things in and through Christ. I am near to God by the blood of Jesus. I am raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Jesus, I am here to our God. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is
Thank you, Father God. You are holy, holy. We come to honor you, to praise you from here to you, Father God. Glory, 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 glory. Glory be your name, Father God. Glory be your name, Father God. Glory be to you, Father God. Glory, glory, glory be your name, Father God. You are holy. Peace. 
that for today.
Beloved, building up yourself, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen says, "Be not drunk with wine wherein excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that singing in the Spirit, making melody in your heart." To the Lord. So let's just praise God in the Spirit for just a few minutes. Father, we praise you. Father, we honor you. Father, we stir up our most holy faith in the Spirit. Father, we just give you glory and honor. Father, we just lift up our holy hands and we praise you and we honor you, giving glory in the Spirit, O God. Yande, maha so rande hasake, maso masaki ishamamasate, oranana masaki ase. Ha, Father God, we do love you, we do honor you, we exalt you on high, Father God. We give you glory and honor and worship and praise. Oh, we glory, we glory, we glorify you. We magnify you, Father God. Glory, glory, glory. We magnify, we magnify, we glorify. Oh, nanande masiki'i, masorandande, mahasiki'i, hasorande, ha. Glory, 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 glory. Father, we glorify you. Father, we magnify you this morning. Father, we glorify you. Glory, glory, glory. Honor and praise. Well, greet somebody. Tell them you're glad to see them. Glory to God. We're going to learn some things about the anointing this morning. Glory to God. 
Thank you, Father God. We're going to learn some things about the anointing this morning. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father God. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. We'll just hold on to that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, we do glorify. We do magnify. Father, we do glorify you. We do magnify you, Father God. Praise you, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. You are the most high. Glory and the honor. Lord, Father, we glory. magnify you. Father, we honor you. Father, we worship you. you. Father, we give you praise. Father, we give you honor. We give you honor. We give you praise this morning. We glorify you. Oh, we glorify you. We magnify you. Oh, we glorify you. We glorify you. We glorify you. For you are the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Father, we glorify you. You're the great conquering king. Oh, we praise you. There's no God bigger than our God. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory. Yes, creator of heaven and earth. Glory, 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 glory. Oh, thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. We're thankful for the praise team. They do a fantastic job. They put thought and purpose in every song that they pick. But you all got to learn how to get into the flow and into the anointing when you can't call the praise team. I want you to know, you can't call, call the praise team in the middle of your storm. You can't, in the middle of the night, you can't call the praise team and say, hey, bring your instruments and the sound team and all that and come set up in my living room and get me up and get me over the problem. Amen. No, you got to learn how to enter into the anointing through your own personal praise and through your own personal worship. You've got to learn how to step over. Um, and, you know, and praise and worship was fine this morning. The praise team did a good job. But you notice that we didn't get up and get over into that place until we just started praising them personally. We got into the spirit. That's why Jude said, um, he said to, let's go back and look at that, Jude. Let's go back and look at it one more time. He said, uh, basically, stir yourself up on your most holy faith. Is really basically what he was saying. Jude Verse 20, he said, now, he said, but you, beloved, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the sinner out in the world? No, he's talking to the believer, the Christian. Uh, beloved, he said, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Well, praise God. We can all praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. You're good. But uh, Jude did not finish talking right there. Jude said... Praying in the Holy Ghost. There are many, many people that believe that when you get born again, you get all the Holy Ghost you're ever going to want or need. Well, that's, I mean, if that's all you want, that's fine. God will leave you at that level. But there's another level beyond that, and that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
and with the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes a heavenly language. A heavenly language. And that heavenly language is a language that is not taught by the mind, but it's taught by the Spirit of God to your spirit, and it comes up and out, not down and out. It comes up from your spirit and comes out. And it begins to talk to God in a way that you can't figure out how to talk to God in your own natural beliefs. Have you ever been trying to praise God in your own natural understanding and just can't find the words to express what's in your heart? Amen. Of course we have. That's why we need the Holy Ghost, because there's words in the Spirit that can get out what's in our heart. And that's why Jude said, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, does it say you have to have an interpreter? No. You have to have an interpreter for public tongues. But when we were just praising and worshiping, there didn't have to be an interpreter. Why? Because I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to him. I'm worshiping him. Now, if the Lord wants to give an utterance uh, by the Spirit, by the gift of public tongues, then yes, an interpreter is required. But when the congregation comes together uh, and just begins to praise in the Spirit, you don't have to have an interpreter. And then if you'll look at, go back to this verse in Ephesians. We just looked at it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, he said, be not drunk. Well, let's go back. (laughs) Actually, uh, let's go back to verse 17. He said, wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what is the will will of of the the Lord. Well, does God want every person to have a spiritual tongue? Yes, he does. Absolutely. It is his will that we not be drunk with wine. Uh, And and he specifies wherein in excess. People use that little phrase to say, well, you can drink, but just don't get drunk. No, God doesn't want us dependent on sugary wine or uh, alcoholic wine to get us to feel good. He doesn't want us to depend on some man-made concoction to get us to relax. He doesn't want us to have to. Alcohol is a counterfeit for the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's a counterfeit for the Holy Ghost. He said, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. And when you're filled, notice there's a semicolon, which means what I'm fixing to say is directly connected to what I just said. When you are filled with the Spirit, you will, be, you will find it's easy to speak to yourself in songs, in hymns, and in spiritual songs. Why? Because your spirit knows songs, hymns. You know, many people will try to memorize the scriptures as a mental thing. But, and that's fine and that's well. But when you're under pressure... What comes out of you, it, when you get squeezed, what's on the inside is what's going to come out. So when you get, you need to be full of the Holy Ghost so that when you get squeezed, praises come out. When you get squeezed, 
uh, wonderful, you know, the word comes out. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm going over. I'm not going under. I can't be defeated. For if God is with me, who can be against me? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have more than enough. For my God supplies me according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I cannot fail. For God is on my side. What happens when you get squeezed? What should come out should be the word of God. Amen. Should be the word. One of the greatest times, listen, maybe you're young in the things of God, but you've gotten real good about letting tongues come out when you get squeezed. Why? Because your holy language knows how to pray when you don't know how to pray. Well, we were in Walmart. This was years and years and years ago, and I was learning to get my mouth under control because I have a little bit, I had, had, used to have an anger issue. And when my anger came out, all kinds of ugly words came with it. And uh, we were in Walmart. We had just left church, and we had gone over to Walmart over to the gaming area where they had the pool sticks and the ping pong balls and all of that. And we were looking at all that, and I reached up and touched something. And when I did, these weighted poker chips, a stack of, them. A stack of weighted poker chips um, came crashing down. And I had open-toed sandals on and uh, came crashing down on that bone that kind of sticks up that goes to your big toe. Well, right there, the corner edge of that package with all that weight landed right on that bone. And I mean talk about being squeezed in the moment. All of a sudden, what came flying out of my mouth went, Healed in Jesus' name. Because I'm pretty sure something broke. It turned purple. Yeah, quick. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I'm over there having a Holy Ghost squeezing party. Just, oh, Jesus, help me. And all of a sudden, these two little teenagers come swinging their head out around the corner going, what is wrong? And I said, it's okay, I'm healed in Jesus' name. And they went, okay, she's crazy. Out of here we go. But now here's the deal. That was on Sunday, Monday morning. I was, start, I was supposed to start my job at Walmart. So I thought, oh, God. How am I going to start this job when I can't even walk? They had to get somebody over there, and they had to bring me ice, and they were like, do you need a cart or whatever? And what did I do? Because I had prayed in the Holy Ghost. I said, no, I can walk it off. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. Why? Because I had been stirring myself up. I had been stirring myself up, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Are we talking about the Holy Ghost today? That's not the plan. Glory to God. That might not be our plan. That's not our plan. <laughs> Look at verse four, uh, chapter 14. This is right after the love chapter. And uh, let's start right here in verse 1. All right. Follow after charity. Or love. Always chase love. Now, when I say chase love, I don't mean physical, intimate, touchy-feely love. I'm talking about chase the love of God. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Okay, notice right there that word gifts is italicized, which means the writers put it in there to help us comprehend and understand what he's talking about. But let's read it this way. He said, follow after what we know to be God's love and desire spiritual 
desire the spiritual. God, we don't have to wait to get to heaven to encounter the spiritual here on the earth. In fact, we are spirit beings, and we carry the spirit of all spirits on the inside of us when we are born again. When we are born again, we carry the spirit of God on the inside of us. Therefore, now here's the deal. You can be a Christian born again, saved, going to heaven, living reasonably clean, and actually going to make heaven. Never darken the doors of the church, never read your Bible, never do any of that, make heaven, and not have any, have any spiritual thing happen in your life, and still make heaven. You can, but you're going into pre-K when you get there. There's people that can read the Bible from cover to cover every year. But they're approaching God with a mental mindset. They're trying to get God from a mental mindset. They're trying to do God in their own might and power. But we're not called to do that. I want the spiritual. I want the supernatural. I want the one who's in heaven flowing out of me and through me. I want to experience the spiritual here and now, I don't want to wait till the great by and by. And here, Paul tells us, you want the spiritual, desire it. All right. Verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit, in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. All right, let's take out those italicized words. All right. For he that speaketh in... Or speaketh and tongue, speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. That word where it says, for he that speaketh in, in, in a tongue, in a tongue, that word tongue, when you look it up in the original Greek language, it means a, a foreign language not naturally acquired, but acquired supernaturally. That's what it means. It, that word tongue literally means a language that you are able to speak that you did not learn by natural means. What is this tongue? It's the spirit language. It's the language of the spirit. And it says, for he that speaketh in an unknown, or for he that speaketh in a tongue, speaketh not unto who? Men. Men. But unto who? God. God. We're speaking to God. For no man understands what we're saying. When we take off in tongues, nobody understands it. Here's a clue. The person speaking doesn't know what they're saying either. Unless God gives them the interpretation. Amen. He goes, how be it in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Well, I just don't know what my future is going to look like. Pray in the spirit. Well, I don't know what to do in this situation. Pray in the Spirit. Well, I don't know how to overcome this area. Pray, Pray in, the, in spirit. the Spirit. Well, I don't know. Uh, we're just up against the wall. Pray in the Spirit. I don't know how to. I, my teacher's trying to teach me this, and I don't get it. Pray in the Spirit. The great Holy Ghost will teach you. He'll teach you. I, there's plenty of times I've sat down to go. I sat down to do some type of office work or some type of work on something. I've had people call me and ask me questions about the Bible, and I go, Lord, I don't know the answer. And the Lord will say, how are you supposed to talk to me? Okay, Lord. And I'll just take off praying in the Spirit, thinking on this thing, meditating on this thing, and then all of a sudden, 
the answer comes and I go, oh, that's so simple, God. Well, but here's the deal. Most Christians don't use the tools that are given to them. Amen. Most Christians don't use the tools that are given to them. We're going to look at an account where the, the majority of God's people refuse to use the tools given to them. But before we do, I want you to go look at John chapter 16. Uh, we're going to talk about anointed to overcome. Anointed to overcome. John chapter 16. I want to point out a couple of... We're going to go to the Old Testament, but I want to get a few New Testament verses in here first. John 16 uh, and verse 33. These are the words of Jesus, and he's referring to everything that he speaks and everything that he has spoken. So John 16:33 says this. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. All right. So what did you, so do you understand, so let me ask you this. The Bible declares that the word was made flesh. So we understand that that means that Jesus is the word. Right. But what is the word? The Bible. So many people say, well, Paul wrote this. Well, Peter wrote that. Well, Moses wrote that. Well, let me tell you who actually did the writing. God inspired those men to put pen to paper. Jesus is the word. So when you declare the word, you're declaring Jesus. When you declare Jesus, you declare the word. They're one in the same. How, how many people uh, here remember the old dictaphones where, where, where a doctor or a lawyer or somebody would talk into their little dictaphone and it would record everything they were saying? Yeah, those were the days, right? <laughs> and then the doctor didn't have to write notes. The doctor didn't have to put anything down. Also, all that went to the secretary, and the secretary would translate it and write it down. That's right. Now, did the secretary write it? No. no. The, the no. words came from the doctor. Just okay. like with God, the words came from him, Paul or Moses or John or whoever. They just wrote them down. Great. So he says this. He says, these things I have spoken unto you that in me, circle that box, that square, that something, in me. Here's why Jesus gave the word. Because if we're in him, in me, in me. He said that in me you might have peace. Then you could also say this way you do no harm to the word that in the world there's going to be tribulation. But because you're in me, be of good cheer. Because you're in me, you have already overcome. You have already overcome. Too many Christians are trying to live life in their own might power and ability instead of doing life in his ability listen i don't stand in this pulpit because i'm smart because by my own by my own measurement if you separated me from god i do not qualify if you separate me from god there's no wisdom if you separate me from god i'm not right all the time you know, these, and I say that because they come to me and they ask me a question and I tell them something. They go, I don't know. And then they go and they prove, they prove out 
that I was right. How do most of the time they prove it out? Most of the time they prove it out by not taking my advice and find out that my advice was the right way, even though by default. They're like, I should have done it pastor's way. It's not about doing it my way. It's about doing it his way. His way. In him. Through him. By him. His way. Amen. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Verse 12. Is it Romans 12? Oh, I'm sorry. Romans, well, that's a good verse, too. We'll go ahead and read it. <laughs> Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continue, uh, uh, continuing instant in prayer. How do you overcome in this life? Rejoicing in hope. Amen. Patient in tribulation. Don't get in such a rush when hard times come. Continuing instant in prayer. Just keep praying that thing through. But the verse I wanted was verse 21. Ah, 21, okay. 1221. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, when evil comes knocking, don't get, oh, 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 overcome. Don't do that. Don't do that. What does it say? It says, but overcome evil with good. Amen. What is Jesus? He's good. Good. He's good all the time. What is the word of God? Good. Good. The word of God is good all the time. Amen. What is your authority in Christ? It's good. Good. It's good all the time. When evil comes knocking, don't bow down and quiver and give in to it. Don't fall on the floor so the devil can come and slurp you up like a slurpee. No, stand up in your God-given authority and say, Not today, Satan, in Amen. Jesus' name. We ain't doing this today. When you're, by, when you're fighting sickness and disease in your body and those symptoms begin to talk to you, you need to say, not today, body. You are the healed. Satan, take your package and go. I'm not receiving that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not receiving that pain. I'm not receiving that sickness. I'm not receiving that evil report. No, I'm not doing that. No, but too often an evil report comes, an evil phone call comes, the, 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 the boss on the, on, the, uh, on the job says, well, you're going to have to work during church time. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. No, I, I, no, I ain't doing that in Jesus' name. My God comes first. The word says if I put him first, he'll add all things to me. Uh, you ain't my supply. I'm not going to disrespect you, but I'm not going to put you before my God. No. Uh-uh. First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. We're a word church. We believe in Scripture. Yes, we We do. believe in the Scriptures. Come on, John. First John. Not third John. Not second John. First John. Come on. First John chapter 2. Come on. Verse uh, 14. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. And ye have overcome the wicked one. <laughs> He's writing to you men. Come on, men. He's writing.
writing to you guys. And he says, listen, he says, you've known the one true father who's been the father from the beginning. He says, and yes, he says, yes, basically, you older men, you fathers, you've got some wisdom. You younger men, yes, you've got some strength. Yes, that's true. He said, but what that what puts you over is the fact that the word of God abides in you. Amen. The word of God is abiding in you, and because of and so so not only because you have the word abiding in you, which by the way, what's the word? Jesus. Amen. So many people say, well, I don't have the word remember memorized. You've got the Holy One, Jesus, living on the inside. Amen. The Word, uh, yes, you need to know the Word. You need to be able to speak the Word to the devil. Yes, you need to be able to speak the Word to charge your angels to tell them to go because that's what they respond to. Yes, you need to speak the Word. Yes, absolutely. But the Word lives in you. The Amen. Word lives in you. And you have, uh, look at this. He says, and you're not, does it say you're trying to overcome? No. Does it say you'll eventually overcome? Does it say maybe someday you might, if you get everything perfect in your ducks in a row, you'll overcome? Nope. No, it says that you have already overcome. Amen. Why have you already overcome? Because the one that has overcome everything lives in you. Amen. Lives in you. But But we're so busy denying the one in us that we get whipped. Quit denying him and start living with him. Amen. We're right here in First John. Let's go to chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Verse 4. Oh, man, the first little part of this verse is so powerful. So powerful. You are what? Oh, God. Of God. That means you carry God around with you. Now, don't get your head, don't get all twisted up here in a minute with what I say. Because we know that when the Bible uses the little g in the word God, it's talking about those little g gods, those demonic spirits. We understand that. But what we are, we are, we are a little g, we are, we are a version of a little g God because the big g God lives on the inside of us. Amen. I'm not talking about we're a demon because God lives inside of us. No, I'm talking about we rule as kings and queens on this earth. There's a piece of the big, there's a, there, there's a, little, there's a little bit of the big G in us. Amen. In us. Oh, my goodness. So when somebody asks you, who are you? Huh, I'm a child of the living God. Amen. I have, I'm an overcomer because the great one lives inside of me. Amen. Listen, when people question you and your authority, don't back down. Know who you are. When the devil comes and talks to you, when you're driving your faith mobile and that faith mobile begins to talk to you and that faith mobile begins to sing, what you going to do, what you going to do, what you going to do, say, I ain't gonna do, I'm not going to do nothing because Jesus has already done it all for me. He's already done it for me. Come on. He said, you are of God, little children. Man, I look forward to the day that God begins to call me something more than a little child. I mean, in comparison to God, we will always be little children. But how much, you know, at some point, children need to start growing up. Amen. Need to start growing up. He said, you are of God, little children, and have what? Overcome them. Overcome who? 
Them. Them. Who's them? It don't matter. It don't matter. If they need to be overcome, they done been overcome. There are them and I already overcome. It doesn't matter. It don't matter. I've already overcome them financial troubles. I've already overcome them sicknesses and disease. I've already overcome them doubts, fears, worries, and anxieties. Amen. I've already overcome them. How much do you know when a problem shows up in your life, it doesn't usually show up by itself? Come on. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is why we confess, I am an overcomer and I am greater. I'm not lifting myself. I'm not elevating myself. I'm not elevating you. But if the greater one lives in you, by default, that makes you greater. By default. Now, let's go look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to find somebody that everybody thought was a nobody, and he became a somebody. 1 Samuel 16. Now, some people say, oh, you're going to talk about that David. I just have a problem with David. He's a womanizer, a cheater, and a murderer. You know, he got with Bathsheba. You know, he got, and then he arranged for Bathsheba's wife to be murdered. Uh, I mean, her wife's husband to be murdered. And, I mean, not murdered, but he put him out there where he was surely going to die on the battlefield where he shoved suit Ben. Well, how many times? Have you never made a mistake? Have you never messed up? Have you never, have you, have you always been exactly where God told you to be when God told you to be there? Nope. <laughs> no. We all, how much you know? We all mess up. We all mess up. And David did mess up. Now, here's the other question. Did David, did it cost David something for his mistake? Yep. Yeah, it cost him his child. It cost him. But now, here's the deal. You can look down on David, but if you look down on David, you're looking down on the lineage of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came out of David's line. So you better watch how you judge David. Now, I'm not saying everything he did was right. Because he did mess up more than once. But, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, we're going to read a while. All right. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. All right, so Jesse, there, Jesse's got some sons. Uh, God's provided one of those sons to be the king. But look at what it says. He says, how long will thou mourn Saul? Samuel, even though, so, so you have to understand in the Old Testament, God raised a king, and then he also raised a prophet. And the prophet was assigned to the king. And the anointing rested on the king, and they rested on the prophet. And that was, and the anointing represents the presence of God. That's what it represents is the presence, the power, the ability of God. So Samuel had, had so Saul was king, so he was Saul's prophet. Uh, and Saul was making a mess of things. He just, I mean, he just kept making a mess, making a mess, making a mess, wouldn't repent, wouldn't get right, making a mess. And finally, God had enough. And God said, Samuel, and he had told Samuel a couple of times, go anoint me another king. 
Samuel, how many times are you going to make excuses for this, prof- for this king? Samuel, how many times? Now, Saul was still on the throne, so it seems a little weird that, that God would say, how, why, how long are you going to mourn him? Because mourning basically means, you know, be saddened over the loss of him. And basically, it basically God said, Samuel, it's time to get up and move on. But now here's the amazing thing. He said, how long... Uh, will thou mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? But one thing that we know is it was still several years before Saul was taken from the throne. So even though God had already rejected Saul, God left him on the throne. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? But we see this pattern with God. Why did he leave him on the throne? Because of the hearts of the Israelites. It was about the hearts of the Israelites. We're going to see their hearts here in a little bit. But he said, but God said, I've already got one in the wings. And let's find out who this one in the wings is. Verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee. And say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Isn't it amazing? God will send you on an assignment. He'll say, "Go! I want you to go do this assignment. But this is what I want you to tell them you're doing. In other words, sometimes people will come and say and know things. But they're not going to tell you the whole story. Why did God allow Samuel to do this? To protect his prophet. Protect his prophet. He's protecting his prophet. So you got to be, you, when, when uh, the men and women of God speak to you, uh, more than likely they know more than, you, than they're letting on. You, you, you need to understand that. You, a lot of times they know more than they're letting on. All right, verse 4. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? What town did he come to? Bethlehem. He was there to do what? Anoint the king. Anoint the king. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. And he said peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Elab and said, Surely the Lord anointed is the Lord's anointed is before him. He looked at the physical outside of Elab. He looked at Elab's figure. He looked at his statue stature. He looked at how becoming his he was. He probably looked at his outward mannerisms and he said, Surely that one right there is the Lord's. And look what the Lord said. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, mm-hmm. nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. What is, where does the Lord look to who he's qualifying? The heart. Well, who do, where does God look when he qualifies somebody? The heart. Where does he look? The heart. Where does he look? 
The heart. Where does he look? The heart. He looks at the heart. Amen. Where does he look? He looks at the heart. He's not looking at your mental ability. He's not looking at how good you look to somebody. He's not looking at how well you speak. He's not looking at your financial position. He's not looking at any of that. He's looking at the heart. Come on, he's looking at the heart. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Every son, every son. <laughs> Jesse still, Jesse, Jesse didn't hear what the Lord spoke to the prophet. So Jesse is continuing to look to the outside. And he's putting every son, well, well, this son, okay, so that son's got a shortcoming in this area. So this son has a strength where he's got a shortcoming. So let me put that one up. Jesse's still looking to the outside, trying to figure out which son. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen thee. Now, how much do you know right about now? The prophet's thinking... Been seven, Lord, and you've rejected all of them, but I know you told me to come to Jesse. I know you told me to come to Jesse, Lord. How many of you right now the prophet's questioning what he heard? <laughs> come on. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are are here all thy children? Is this all of them? Is this everybody? Because the Lord no, this is not is this everybody? <laughs> and he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Oh, my goodness. Jesse's got eight boys. How much do you know the youngest one, though all the older boys protect him, they also pick on him? How much do you know they all call him a pipsqueak? They all call him a good, you know, oh, you're nothing. You're, you're, you know, oh, you're just a baby. You don't measure up. You ain't got nothing going on. Here comes the prophet to anoint one of them as king. They're all decked out. They're ready to be king. And one comes by and the prophet goes, no. And the second one comes by and he goes, no. And the third one comes by and he goes, no. All the way down to seven. And then they're all standing there all, okay, God's going to, he just missed it. God's surely going to pick one of us. And the prophet says, isn't there another one? And Jesse goes, and how about you know right now, them boys are all standing there. <laughs> prophet's there, so they don't want to say anything, but they're, uh, you know, they're poking each other and giggling behind the prophet's back. You know that's what's happening. And, uh, and uh, they, all of a sudden, and so they say the prophet's not paying any attention. The prophet says, oh, there's a shepherd boy out in the field. I tell you what, you go get him and we're all going to stand. We're all going to stand. We're not going to sit. We're all going to stand. How much you know when the king enters the room, you stand? When the king enters the room, you stand. So he was making a point. He said, all of y'all are going to stand and you're going to wait. Now, here's the deal. The sheep are not just in the little fenced-in backyard like what we have. No, the sheep are out there on the hills. Somewhere. <laughs> Somewhere out there. It's going to take a while to go get him. Now, here's the other problem. David's been out there with the sheep for days. For days. And he smells like the sheep. 
He's probably even got uh, he's probably even got sheepskins wrapped up on him and around him to disguise himself to help protect the sheep. And he's uh, he's been eating leftover lunches, and he's uh, he's been out there sweating with the sheep, and he's been out there rubbing on the sheep and tending to the sheep. And by now he stinketh. And yet here the brothers are all standing, waiting for the pipsqueak brother that smells like the sh- and looks like the sheep to come into the house to find out what's going on. Oh, my goodness. How much do you know right now the brothers are not pleased? All right, verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and got, got goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise. He was redheaded. He was, he was, I mean, he was good looking, but he was redheaded. That's what it means to be ruddy. He was redheaded, but yet he was good looking, which means he was probably fair skinned, which means he was probably covered up in those sheepskins that much more to keep from being a crispy critter. And the <laughs> Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of, the, of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. All right. So here's little David. He's out in the field. He's, he comes in with the sheep. The prophet's there. His brothers are all standing. He, the, he walks in the door. The prophet goes, that's the king. And they all go. The prophet goes over, grabs the oil, dumps it on him. And uh, says, you're anointed to be the king. And then notice it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon David when? That day. Which, mean now, which now means that David is operating in the wisdom of God. David is now operating in the strength of God. David is now operating in the power of God. And he's the little brother. He's the little brother. And... Uh, David turns around. You'll find out that David turns around. He goes right back to the sheep. We're not going to read that for a second time. But he goes right back. He goes out back out. And he starts. He goes back out to the sheep. And then Saul begins to have. Saul is being overtaken by demons. And the only thing that keeps Saul calm is David playing the harp. That's the only thing that keeps keeps the uh, spirits overtaking uh, Saul at bay. So he ends up having to go. And he's sitting there thinking. Uh, I thought I was anointed to be king. This guy's the king, and he's losing it unless I play my harp. How much, you know, David's kind of pondering some things. But, and I always wondered why that was until we went through what we went through. David, by being at Saul's side, learned what not to do as king. He learned what not to do. Now, we're going to jump over to chapter 17. Uh, because I want to get to where David takes on Goliath. So, but my point is, is he was anointed. This word anointed, it means to, to smear. Or another word, when you look this word anoint up, another way of saying is that it means to paint. To paint. When it comes to being anointed of the Lord, it's me, it means to be consecrated or action, that word consecrated, when you look that word up, it means to have something installed in you. Installed in you. So to be anointed means to have the power of God smeared or painted all 
over you or on you or because we're New Testament Christians in you. We have the power of God in us from the tips of our toes out the tips of our fingertips to the tops of our hairs, whatever. Every single piece of us is painted with the power of God on the inside. Now, with David, he was painted on the outside with this anointing. That's why in the Old Testament, when they would anoint you, they'd take the anointing oil and they'd literally pour it on your head and it would go all the way down your head, down your body, down your clothes and into your shoes. That's how much oil that they would pour on you. It would completely saturate you. Aren't you glad we don't do that today? That'd be a mess. Aren't you glad? I know the uh, church cleaner is glad. (laughs) I know that. Uh, But, praise the Lord. So let's pick up in chapter 17, and let's read here. All right. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shocho, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shocho and Azekah, the... uh, Yeah, that name. Yeah. <laughs> Ephesdamin, I guess. Okay. And Saul said, uh, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. Now, I want to tell, I hold you. I want you to hold your spot right here. You have to understand who the Philistines are. The Philistines is a group of people that worship um, idol gods. They are outside of the covenant. They are, and and because they are outside of the covenant, they are not circumcised. Now, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, you understand some things about circumcision because we've been talking about it uh, the last two weeks. But I want to show you, uh, go to Genesis chapter 17. This is very important that you understand the importance of circumcision to understand what transpires between David and Goliath. So in Genesis chapter 17, this is the tail end of God making the covenant with Abraham. It starts in chapter um, 14. Actually, it starts in chapter uh, 12, but in 15 is where we really see it being cut. And here, the covenant being cut, 17 is the tail end of it. And in chapter 17... Look at verse, um, we're going to look at verse 10 real quick, or 10 and 11. We'll look at 10 and 11. Okay. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep, between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Now let's read verse 13 and 14. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So, the, the, the act of circumcision came before the Levitical law. And circumcision, physical circumcision in the Old Testament is a sign or a token or a cutting mark on the physical body that shows that someone has covenant with God of the universe. Now, in the New Testament, 
Um, well, actually, we find out in the Old Testament, in uh, Leviticus 26 and in Deuteronomy 10, uh, we find out that the circumcision is moved from a, it, it, that, that though they're still under that physical circumcision, God is using that to relate to the circumcision of the heart. And what the circumcision of the heart is, is after you come into Christ, you cut away by Christ in us, you begin to cut out and cut away the things in your life that separate you from God, the sins in your life. That's a heart circumcision. But in the Old Testament, if there's no physical circumcision, there's no covenant. So this is very important to understand what transpires between David and, and Goliath. Now, I want you to go to chapter 17, or we're in 17, go to Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to go to verse uh, 43 and 44, and then verse 48. 43, 44, and then we're going to jump to 48. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. Now we know that Christ in the New Testament is our Passover. He is the Passover lamb. So verse 44 and 48 are very important. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. Now remember... Christ bought us not with money but with his blood. So we are so by that by us coming into Christ because he bought us with his blood, we qualify for this circumcision covenant. All right, verse 48. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Now notice it said there that if a stranger, what is a stranger? In the Old Testament, a stranger, even in the New Testament, a stranger is somebody from a foreign land. Now all of us that are born into the body of Christ, our homeland is heaven. Amen. Everything on the earth is a stranger to us. Why? Because the real us, the eternal part of us, our true home, we have, by the blood of Christ, we have citizenship documents that we are citizens of heaven. So everybody that's in the world is a stranger to us, which is the equal to a Philistine to them. The Philistines were strangers to, uh, to the Israelites. They were strangers. All right, so we'll keep it. And now, if you are not in covenant, if you don't have that circumcision, if, you've not, if you're not born into that family and been circumcised, or if you've not been bought into the family and been circumcised, then you have no partaking of the, of the Passover lamb, which means you have no partaking in what Jesus has acquired for us. All right, so now let's go back to 1 Samuel. All right, in chapter 17. Chapter 17. Verse 2. All right. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. 
And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. About ten foot tall. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He was heavy. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear head, his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. I want you to picture this. From the floor to the ceiling is right at 10 feet. So Goliath, all the way to the ceiling, all the way to the ceiling. He has on his helmet. He has brass uh, guards on his, um, sh on his shins. He has uh, a brass breastplate. He has a spear that's extremely heavy. But... Even beyond all of that, he has a normal-sized man carrying a shield that's as big as the man is walking in front of him to protect the entire lower region. Come on. <laughs> this is a big dude. This is a big dude. And when it says he, it, there's a target of brass between his shoulders, it targets a, a small round shield yeah. that, that basically mounts to your back to protect your back. This, this, this guy is massive. He is massive. All right. So where were we? Verse 8. Verse 8. Oh. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am, am not I a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul, choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, how does this pertain to us today? Because the nation of Israel is a type and shadow of the church. And Goliath is a type and shadow of the devil. And how much do you know the devil is constantly in your ear screaming, Come out and fight me. Come out and fight me. Come out and fight me. Aren't you? Aren't you a servant of God? Come on out and fight me. Just one of you. Just come on. Just come on out and fight me. And if I defeat you, you're going to be my slave. How much do you know if the devil defeats you, you're going to be his slave? How much do you know that's true? If you surrender to, to Satan, you're going to be a slave to sin all the days of your life. Amen. So he was, not, he was not lying when he said that. And he was mocking them because he said, aren't you of Saul's kingdom? Remember, Saul in the prime of his life had big defeats. He had big defeats. He, and basically he was saying, now he's talking about, because we know Saul has abandoned God, God has abandoned Saul at this point. But at the same time, we know that if, if Saul would get right with God, nobody could defeat him. Now, see, the Philistines didn't know that God had abandoned Saul. 
All they had was what they had heard about his great victories against them in their kingdoms. So he's sitting there going, aren't you? Aren't, how much do you know the devil says, well, if you're God's, if you belong to God, why don't you just come out and, out and fight me? How much you know Satan came against Jesus in the gar- came against Jesus in the wilderness and said, "Well, if you if you're who you say you are, why don't you just turn these rocks to bread? If you're who you say you are, why don't you just jump off the ledge and let the angels catch you? If you're who you say you are, then why, uh, you know, then why do you have to go through what you're going to go through? Why don't you just bow down to me and I'll go ahead and give you the world?" How much you know? Satan ain't changed. This Philistine's given the same stupid arguments. Now, verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, now why were they afraid and and dismayed? I mean, they're, they're God's chosen people, right? But Saul knew that he'd been abandoned. The Philistines, I mean, the, uh, the Israelites certainly had reason to believe that they'd been abandoned. Yeah, they they knew the state of Israel. They knew what was going on in, in in their in their kingdom. They knew that God wasn't pleased with them. They had great reason to be dismayed and to be afraid. But at the same time, they also knew that God is a wonderful God, a giving God, a, a favorous God. And all they had to do was repent and get right with God, and God would take care of them. So many. This is so many Christians. So many Christians look at their failings and say, "Well, God's not going to help me." They look at their sin and say, well, I've blown it. They, right. look at, they look at the accusations of Satan when Satan says, well, you don't read the word enough. You don't have the authority. Exactly. Your authority is not based on how much Bible you read. Your authority is not based on how much Bible you can quote. Your authority is not based on how much time you spend in the prayer closet. What your authority is based on is the amount of revelation that you have. Now, does getting in your word help your amount of revelation? Yes. Does spending time in prayer help your amount of revelation? Most certainly. But the authority that we have doesn't change. You have just as much authority now as you did the day you were born again. And when you get a higher revelation of your authority, you're going to look at yourself and you're going to go, oh my gosh, I've had this authority the entire time. The entire time I've had it. All I had to do was go, God, I'm sorry for my mistakes, and now I'm going to walk in my authority. But they, they didn't do this. Yep, they sat there and went, oh, devil, you're right. I don't spend enough time in the Word. Oh, devil, I don't spend enough time in my prayer closet. Oh, devil, I brought this upon myself. Repent walk in your authority. And see, and see this, is, this is what the weight of sin does in our lives. It steals our confidence. It steals our, our, our confidence in our God. It steals who we are in God. See, the, the Israelites were, knew where they were at. They knew that there was problems, and they knew that this was, this, this was not going to go well. Uh, they, they, there was no way they couldn't know. That's right. But see, David, on the other hand, he's just a young kid. He doesn't know what all's going on in the world, but he knows his God. That's right. Come on. Let's find out what David does, because David is amazing to me. There's, there's so much in here we can teach, but I want to get to one really important per- point. So we gotta we gotta read a while to get there. Yep. Okay. So verse twelve. Now David was the son of of, of was the son of that Ephraite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among them 
for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of, the, of his three sons that went to battle were Elab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. All right, so uh, the, three, oh, the three oldest boys were of, of age for war. That means that the next four were not. This puts David as very, very young. David is very young. Some people say that David was about 16, 17 when he came up against Goliath. I think David was closer to 12, 13, to be honest. Or possibly even eight. He, he was possibly even younger. He, he had to be very young at this point. And David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So he had stopped playing the harp, and now he's back and he's taking care of the sheep. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their, of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Mm-mm-mm. Now Saul and they... And all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren in the middle of battle okay well they're not battling every every morning goliath comes out there and shouts and yells at them and then they all hide in their tents but while we're paused so they just line up in front of yeah but pause real quick since we're paused go back to verse 16 notice it had been 40 days Mm -hmm. i saw 40 days how many days was jesus in the wilderness Forty. Forty days. Forty days and of how long did it Satan. rain? Right. How many, you know, 40 days and nights. Satan had been tormenting these Israelites for 40 days. And at any point during these 40 days, Saul and the Israelites could have gotten before God, gotten right with God, and put an end to these strangers, to these Philistines. Yep. At any point, he could have brought an end to it. But for 40 days, this Philistine tormented the children of Israel. And then David went. Then David went. And David travels and he brings bread. And, he's, and, 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 and honestly, Jesse is going, what is taking so long with beating these Israelites? Go find out. <laughs> he took the youngest one and said, and why did, why did Jesse send David? He's anointed. Mm-hmm. David's the one that's anointed. So Jesse said, uh, you're the anointed one. You go. You go. <laughs> you've got God on you. You go. Well, guess what? If you've got God on the inside, you're anointed. Come on. All right. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath. What Goliath, verse are we on? Oh, verse 23. 23. Goliath, by name, 
out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. Meaning no more taxes for his father's great. house. Come on. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? I love David. David's the punky kid. David's the punky little kid, right? And he comes in, and he's like, he's not even concerned with the, with the idiot Philistine. He's just like, now what do we get? What's the reward? You know, this is us going to God and going, God, what's our inheritance? What is that that we have? What's our inheritance? God, what's our inheritance? Oh, I get all, I get, I get provision like Jesus got. Huh. And all you need me to do is stand up to the devil and you already whipped the devil for me? Ah, I got this. I mean, this is old punky David. <laughs> I love David. Come on. All right. So, <clears throat> what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away reproach from Israel? Or the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Look at what he See, says. David knew about the, 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 the covenant. He knew David about David knew who the chosen people were and that he was the anointed of God. Come on. He said, he said, look at what he said. He said, who's going to take away the reproach of Israel? Listen, it's a reproach to God when we let the devil run, run shot all over us. Amen. When we let the devil eat our lunch, we're telling the world our God's not big enough. Amen. And David walked up and David said, oh, no, I know the God of gods. I know the king of kings. I know the God who is on my side. I know the God that won't let me fail. Who is this un?" circumcised in other words he said who is this man that doesn't have covenant and has the audacity to come against me the king's kid Amen. no he said uh-uh no who is this uncircumcised philistine i'm gonna just say it real blunt who is this uncircumcised servant of satan that's what he was saying who is the uncircumcised servant of Satan that's coming against me, the child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Come on. Verse 27. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Elab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Elab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why come, camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the haughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I, uh, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? David said, What did I do to you to offend you? How what do you mean you know the haughtiness of my heart? How much you know it was David's heart that got him anointed to begin with? Who had the prideful heart? The big brother. Amen. Who had the issue? The big brother. 
Not David. David's heart was pure toward God, and that's why he got anointed. David was, or uh, Elab was putting his own failures over onto David. That's when right. people come against you, it's not about you. It's about their own weaknesses. Amen. It's about their own weaknesses. And David just looked at him and said, what have I done? What is your problem? He basically said, uh, your problem is your problem, not my problem. Verse 30. And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. So they told Saul of what David's been saying, and Saul goes, bring that kid over here. I mean, David, I mean, David just looked at his brother and said, what did I do to you? Ain't nothing wrong. It's all about you now. Let me talk. I was talking to y'all. He turned his back on him and said, I'm not listening to you. Listen, when the devil talks to you through people, you got to turn your back on them. you got to turn around and say, I'm not listening to that nonsense. That goes against everything that my God says about me. I'm not listening to that. you got to shut them things down. you got to shut the devil down. The devil will operate through family. Now, they may be, now listen, they may be saved family. They may be heaven-bound family. Remember Peter? Remember Peter grabbed a hold of Jesus by this clothes and rebuked him? And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you're an offense unto me. How much, you know, Peter was as close as the family as, there, as Jesus had in that moment. Uh, family, Satan will, will speak things out of family members' mouths to get to you. You've got to, you've got to get the wisdom of God to recognize when that's your Christian-filled family talking to you and when that's the devil influencing their thoughts Amen. and they're spewing them. And so David looked at him and he said, I didn't do nothing to you. Here, let me focus on you. Let's, let's, let's take care of this uncircumcised Philistine. Let's take care of this issue. Let's take care of this problem. So Saul sent for David, and David came before him. And in verse 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. But a youth. But a youth. That means he had to be at least the age of 12. Because other, up to the age of 12, biblically, they were considered children. So he had to be at least the age of 12. He said, uh, David, you're a youth man. I can't get you in there. And he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant, keep, er, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I, and I went after him. And smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Listen, these are more devils. David, listen, you've got to keep up a, you've got to keep up a victory log. David pulled out his victory log, and he said, hmm, let me see. Oh, there was that one. That's not one that's impressive. There's that demon. That one's not real impressive. Oh, here's an oppressive time. Here was this one time this lion came up and grabbed a sheep. Man, I went after that lion, and I went up there, and I smote him, and he didn't want to let the sheep go, so I just grabbed him by the face by his beard, and I jerked that beard down and smote him with my staff and made him let that sheep go. How much you know? Sometimes that's what you've you got to do with the devil. Sometimes you just got to grab the devil by his beard and just beat the fire out of him with the name of Jesus. Amen. Just begin to just wallop him upside the head. In the name of Jesus, I told you to let that thing go. Oh, 
And once what you got to beat that thing. Listen, David was not gentle. David didn't just walk up and go, excuse me, Mr. Lion. Hey, Mr. Lion, can you let my sheep go? No, he beat that lion. Silly. We do the same thing with the name of Jesus. Then he did it. Then he turned around and he did it to a bear. I mean, a lion's bad enough, but a bear, you can't even get to his beard to hit him because he got them big old claws on the ends. Well, how much you know the name of Jesus is bigger than any claw? Come on, the name of Jesus. And not only did he beat the moth, in verse 36, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he hath defiled the armies of the living God. He said, listen, I'm going to take down this uncircumcised Philistine. I'm going to take down this uncircumcised servant of Satan. I'm going to beat him, and I'm going to slay him, just like I did the lion and the bear. Come on, you've got to get an attitude when it comes to the devil. Come on. So David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Now look at what David did. David did not take credit. David knew who delivered him. Yes, David was the one that grabbed the beard. Yes, David was the one that did the physical beating of the lion and the bear and the slewing. But it was God who made him able. Amen. It was God who who gave him the ability. It was God who set him. It was God that set him able to do these things. Listen, you cannot do the things of God in your own might, power, and ability. Do you understand me? Do you hear me? You need to write that down. I cannot succeed in God in my own might, power, and ability. I can't do it. Because if you're trying to do it in your own might, if you're trying to do it in your own power, if you're trying to do it in your own ability, you're going to fail. David knew. He said, it was the Lord that delivered me. Listen, Jesus has already delivered you. Jesus has already made you an overcomer. You just have to walk it out, just like David did. Keep going. All right. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. So Saul gives this little 12-year-old kid his full-grown man's 12, 13, armor whatever edge was. and says, Here, wear this. <laughs> and David girdled his sword upon his armor, and he arrayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I am not proved them. Listen, you cannot beat the devil on somebody else's revelation. You have to get your own revelation of your authority, power, might, and dominion. You have to get your own revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Just because I stand up here and and preach from the pulpit, you got to beat that devil with the name of Jesus. Doesn't if you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't have that revelation, if you don't know who that is. If you won't give God your reverence and respect, if you don't know who your Jesus is, you will not beat the devil. You won't do it. There's no possible way. He said, I've not proved out this armor. Listen, when it came to casting out demons, I want to take a little side journey. Are you okay with that? We might have to pick this up next week. 
But when it came to casting out devils and demons, you know, I had heard Dad Hagen talk about it somewhat. I had heard Lester Summerall talk about it. And I had heard Brother Randy talk about it. And I had and I had studied up on it and I had and, and I learned who my authority I learned my authority through Dad Hagen. I learned my power, might, and dominion. But when it came when I came face to face with a demon-possessed man that wanted to be set free, it was a whole new ball game. When I came face to face with a demon-oppressed man that wanted to be set free, it was a whole new ball game. When I came face to face with a demon-oppressed man that said, well, I'm just going to have to deal with this thing all the days of my life, it was a whole new ball game. Why? Because it was because now I couldn't depend on their revelation. I had to get my own revelation. Well, how am I going to get my revelation by working the word? But here's the deal. Before I ever came up against any of them, I had to work my authority on small things. I had to work my authority on sickness in my own body. Before I could get anybody divinely healed in the name of Jesus, I had to work healing in my own physical self. I had to, when, I mean, Lord, I had to learn how to overcome hiccups before I could overcome a demon. You had to overcome hic- Yeah, I used to get hiccups so bad. Oh, my gosh, it was embarrassing. Oh, my goodness. They were so bad. I have been asked to leave retail stores. He's my witness. He will even tell you that he personally would not shop with me because it was so embarrassing. Well, once you got the hiccups, but yeah. Yeah, no, like when the hiccups came, he was like, got to go. I'm going to the other end of the store. I do not know you. And I had to learn to take authority over those things. So the hiccups would come, and I'd have to lay hands on my stomach, and I'd have to say, in the name of Jesus, hiccups, go. And they go, hiccup, hiccup, hiccup. I know. The name of Jesus says it works. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me about Brother Randy in, in, the, in the prison when he had that, when he got sick, 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 remember? And he was sneezing and coughing and everybody thought, well, everybody was coming against him and said that all healing nonsense doesn't work. And he got mad as a hornet. And uh, he said, well, God, if you're not a he- you know, you got to heal me. And he sat up on the side of the bed and the Lord told him, he said, next time you want to sneeze, he said, speak to it and don't allow yourself to sneeze. And Brother Randy said that this sneeze came on him, and he said, I thought if I hold that thing any longer, I'm going to blow this wall down. Well, I tell you what, try to hold one of these horrific hiccups back. And, I mean, you think you're going to explode from the inside out trying to hold these things back. But in that, I learned I have authority over my flesh. And once I learned I have authority over my flesh, then I learned I had authority over demons. But, see, you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere, just like David did. You've got to start somewhere. And David started somewhere. I want to just fast forward. We're going to fast forward because we just got to finish this up. We're going to fast forward. Well, no, nope, we're going to end right here. We're just going <laughs> to okay. stop right here. There's just too much good stuff in here. We'll come back next week. Listen, you're anointed to overcome. You're anointed. You, you're not trying to get anointed. You're not trying to get the authority. You're not trying to get the power. You're not trying to get the might. You're not trying to get there. You've already got it. Amen. You've got the power of God on the inside. One of the best ways to turn that power up is to spend much time praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. One of the best ways to turn that, that understanding and that ability up 
is to spend much time stirring yourself up in the Holy Ghost. If both of our ushers will come, we're going to take up the tithes and offerings. You'll bless the tithes and the right. offerings. Well, Lord, we thank you for this word that we've received. We, we, we thank you that it will fall on good ground and that it will grow in our lives and the lives of those that we come in contact you, with. Lord, we, we just want to thank you and we, for this word, and we, we just want to let you know how much we love you. And, Lord, your word says that we should give unto you, unto your kingdom, so that your work can be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And, therefore, we give with a joyous heart and a grateful heart. We give unto your kingdom, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Lord, we know that you will bless this offering and that it will go further towards doing your work here on earth than we could ever ask, hope, or think. Lord, we just we know that you will bless this, and we thank you for it. And Lord, we, we, we ask that you bless us, that we might become a bigger blessing unto you and to your kingdom. Lord, we just love you, and we thank you for this word. And we will meditate on this word throughout the week, and it will grow and bear fruit in our lives. We thank you, Lord. Now, Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to still kill and destroy this word. We are forewarned and forearmed against you, and we will stand against you. You cannot move forward. You must flee in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you. Satan, we command you to take your hands off the finances and the increase. Release it. Let it go. Angels, according to the word, go. Cause prosperity to come in Jesus' mighty name in every area. Father, we thank you that your word is true. Your word is working. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you for heavenly increase into every person's life. You can serve the people. Amen. We'll be back Wednesday uh, tonight. We've got prayer at 5. Uh, for we, we just, it's a United, time of united prayer. We